Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to a poll position. Yes, we are back. No, we don't have 20th century history. I have listened to Alex. I have taken my punishment and gone and found you something completely different. So today I've got with me David Gralik. He's a PhD student at Adam Mickiewicz University in Poznań, which is in northwest Poland, which I've been told to say just in case. He's a military historian specializing in the Napoleonic period. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the Napoleonic period. I have gone down the dark side, but don't worry because I have someone with me who's going to hold my hand along the way because yet I have not had a co-host on pole position, but this time I am going to have a co-host and that is the wonderful, the only Sam Jolly. Hi, Sam. Hello, darlings. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited about today because whilst I love the Napoleonic period, I'm ashamed to say I know very little about Polish history in the Napoleonic period. Welcome, David. Hello. How uh, how are you uh, doing amongst these two lovely ladies? <laughs> Hello. I'm very well, but I feel a little bit outnumbered. Uh, thanks for having me in your podcast. You feel, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm the one in the middle because I have a Napoleonic historian to my left and a Napoleonic historian to my right. I think I should be the one that should be outnumbered. Okay, point for you. I'm in a Polish sandwich. Does that make me some salami or something? <laughs> I think in our own way, we're all outnumbered on this. But I'm excited because we're doing some Napoleonic history and uh, we've got a deal here, ladies and gentlemen. So when Sam feels that she doesn't understand a context, she is allowed to wave her white flag, which she will be waving. I, on the other hand, don't have a white flag. I only have a copy of Hitler's Furies by Wendy Lauer. And I'll be ra- like waving that if I don't understand in the Napoleonic. So hopefully we will make some sort of sense while we're doing a Napoleonic Polish pole position. God, that's a muff. Yeah, anyway, let's get some questions going because you want to hear David, not me. So let's kick off like the easiest and the most simple question is like, where did your interest in the subjects of the Polish officer corps? Because that's what we're going to be covering today during the Napoleonic Wars come from. And what what do we actually know about it? Uh, well, to be honest, when it came to uh, choosing a topic of my, of my um, doctoral project, my first thought was precisely the officer corps of the Duchy of Warsaw Army. And uh, what's such a topic? I could say that I was inspired by one of the professors in my department who said during my very first uh, year of studies in the class about ancient warfare that the matters in analyzing military history is not only 
the description of wars, great battles, maneuvers, or biographies of famous commanders, but also the soldiers who fought these wars officers included. Across the board, the Napoleonic era is not different in this apart. Um, especially since it was a period in which many outstanding commanders lived, of course, uh, Napoleon himself, but also uh, Prince Wellington, Archduke Karl von Habsburg, etc. Of course, behind uh, the choice of the subject was also the fact that it's purely researched. Uh, quite, quite quickly, I found why such a situation takes place. While the number of archival sources for this topic is quite limited, um, because of the losses that uh, Polish archive suffering during World War II. In Jurekit, for example, more, um, for example, the central archive of historical records in Warsaw was destroyed. And with, with it, almost all regimental books uh, and therefore the primary sources on which normally I would work. Um, by the way, as I look at my colleagues uh, in the West, uh, some included, I'm often simply jealous that they have such a wide source base, which allowed them to trace the fate of even private soldiers of the Napoleonic Wars. Um, sometimes I wonder if they know how lucky they are that they can work with such uh, a number of different sources. There are few areas for me that are impossible to do research, at least when it comes to the Dutch of Warsaw Army. David, I'm going to cut you off very briefly, just to give our listeners a bit of context. Why do we not have these documents? Why do they ex don't exist? What happened to make all of this just be non-existent? Um, these documents existed before World War II, and they was uh, in Warsaw, in uh, archives in Warsaw. And uh, during the Warsaw Uprising in 1945, they were... Um, tough fights uh, in the city of Warsaw. They were also bombarded by, by Germans uh, and they destroyed uh, the, the, this main archive where these documents were. So uh, we don't have uh, most, of the do most of these documents nowadays. Uh, for example, we've got uh, a series of documents uh, named uh, Dobrowski's Files. It was uh, documents uh, collected by General Jan Henry Dobrowski, one of the main Polish generals of that period. It was a large uh, collection of the documents we, which um, Dobrowski collected through his um, quite long life. And so they, they was um, given to this archive in Warsaw. And it was, in, if I remember well, destroyed in about 80%. So it's a huge number of, of documents. We, uh, we couldn't know, we can't know it them because of the... Germans, etc. I feel for you, obviously, for a lot of my master's thesis, um, as you quite rightly say, the British archives survive. But my uh, my thesis wanted to touch upon some Prussian things. And there is nothing as soul destroying when it comes to archive destruction, when you find that the records you want were destroyed by your own air force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, know, I, I know this problem. I have my one of my colleagues from the cathedral is... Uh, uh, researching uh, Prussian things, and and, and he he he, uh, he says that because of the Potsdam urban things, uh, he's got a, his own problems too. Uh, anyway, returning uh, returning to the main thread, um, the state of knowledge at the moment is such that the Polish generals on the Napoleonic Wars period have lived to see their own general study, 
and we also have biographies of more important generals, although not all of them. Uh, a few of them, like biographies of General Stanislav Fischer and Prince um, Antoni Pawlukowski, I will talk about them later a little bit more, uh, have been published re relatively recently in the last uh, few years. Um, in my opinion, in general, the social aspects of the functioning of historical armies is a um, developing branch of research, also in the research about the Napoleonic Wars period, because it's part of the so-called uh, new military history. So obviously, new brands of research, uh, right? Um, returning uh, to Polish officers, there is room for improvement set of knowledge, which I intend to take advantage. So the, the officer corps in the army of the Duchy of Warsaw, what, what does this actually mean? Who do you include in this group? Uh, well, the answer is not obvious, uh, primarily because of the confusion that existed in the first month. Uh, of the Polish army of uh, this period, which was actually established before the Duchy of Warsaw was created, which is quite which is quite interested, interesting. Um, but we will have the opportunity to say more about it in the moment. And this initial period, one can speak of a strange situation in which there were many officers who had an unregulated status. Um, second issue was ending point because in theory the Dutch of Warsaw army existed to June 1815 when the Congress of Vienna decided that the Dutch of Warsaw won't exist anymore. Uh, and its army were just born into army of the Kingdom of Poland, so-called Congress Kingdom. Um, so in the end, I decided to research only period when Polish officers were elements of the Napoleonic system because it creates uh, one coherent and logical narration. Because of things I mentioned uh, before, I had to define certain criteria according to which I move, and I decided that I would adopt two main criteria. First, that I would only deal with officers serving in the line units of the Dutch of Warsaw Army between 1806 and 1814, and thus ex excluding military ex administration, except for the general staff. Uh, health services and irregular formations like Levee en Masse, which existed uh, in years 1806 to 7 and in, and in uh, 1813. And secondly, that the officers had to have served at least one campaign as uh, part of the Polish army, as we have situations, especially in 1806-7, when officers, for example, served in the staffs of French corps, later entered the Polish army for a while, and then returned to the French army. For example, the Chevaux-Léger or of the Imperial Guard, which had been formed since April 7, 1807. That was in fact the case with Chevaux-Léger commander Count Skraszynski. With this framework in place, I'm preparing a list of officers as well as conducting quantitative and qualitative analysis. For our listeners, Please explain what the Duchy of Warsaw was, just to be on the safe side, because I can see Sam's eyes going, Duchy of Warsaw, talk to us. Well, um, Duchy of Warsaw was a state created after a piece of Tilsit in 1807. Um, it was created by some of the Prussian lands, uh, which uh, in the previous years was part of the Polish 20 Commonwealth because uh, our listeners uh, have to know that, of course, uh, in the previous centuries, there was a huge, uh, huge state, Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. And in um, 
18th century, the state was quite weak and it was destroyed by free, free, the, their free neighbor, neighbors, uh, Prussia, Austria, and Russia. So uh, the Poland uh, didn't exist uh, in, in the beginning of the Napoleonicus period. And um, when Napoleon uh, entered Polish lands uh, during his war against the Prussia and Russia in 18, 1806, he decided to do some movements in the in the Polish cause because he knew some he knew some Poles uh, from his uh, previous uh, previous years. For example, he knew General Dombrowski because um, he, these Polish legions were created in Italy when Napoleon was a commander of the Army of Italy. Uh, during his first Italian campaign, so uh, he knew that something like uh, Polish people existed, and uh, there is uh, something like Poland, or, or this spirit was something because of the, of the partitions, of course. So this was a state uh, created, uh, like I, like I said, uh, by Napoleon from part of the lands of the Prussian partition. And, and from, from Polish people, it's, it was some kind of hope to reestablish Poland. Um, and, and that's it, I think. I, th I, think, I, think, I, think, I think you understand uh, what I mean. I love that beacon of hope because it doesn't end up going very well for the next hundred years. Yeah, but, there, uh... there is, there's one of, one of the books about the Church Warsaw and, it, uh, and its title is uh, a small country of great hopes. And I think it's a good definition of what the Dutch of Warsaw was. Oh my God, that just, that made my heart flutter and cry a little bit on the inside. So anyway, back to your research. I just wanted to, I just wanted our listeners just to have a, a bit of a background uh, knowledge of what we're talking about. So let's go back to the beginnings of this officer corps. Talk to us, tell us how to develop, develop in the following years. So as I, as I mentioned some time ago, um, the officer corps of the Dutch of Warsaw army began to form before the Dutch of Warsaw was established. In fact, and, uh, after the French victories uh, in the battles of Vienna and Auerstedt in October 1806, it was clear that the Grand Armée would enter Polish lands and uh, uh, it would be, it would be uh, a possibility to reopen the Polish case. Uh, because the Prussians were retreating to the uh, East Prussia, awaiting the arrival of Prussians. Um, in that situation, Napoleon, as I said, uh, summoned uh, General Dombrowski, uh, who was in Italy at that time, and he, because they knew each other. And uh, just Napoleon wanted to know more about Poland, uh, the situation. Uh, he wanted to know what he can expect when his army will uh, will be will be in Poland. Um, uh, also, Napoleon ordered Dombrowski to create Polish army because it would be, uh, uh, of course, uh, a, a better situation for, for for French themselves to have a, to have an ally who knows the territory, uh, this whole, whole theater of war uh, and, and stuff like that. So. Uh, so creation of the army started, and officer of, of, uh, of the corps uh, also. Dombrowski, together with his friend Józef Wybicki, who had also arrived in Berlin, issued a famous proclamation uh, that included a famous phrase, uh, Napoleon told us, I will see if the Poles are worthy to be a nation. 
um, if the, with the nafi century context, uh, it's, it means that uh, I will see if you are worthy to have your own state, right? Um, oh, that hurts. That hurts me really bad listening to that. And, you know, it was uh, pure politics, you know, it's something for something, right? You will help me, I will help you, and uh, there, is, there, there is nothing for, for free, you know, in the international politics, in the Napoleonic Wars or World War II or every single historical period. So this, this wasn't an, an exception during uh, the Napoleonic Wars. So um, anyway, Dombrowski went to Poznan, the first major city in, on the Polish soil. Um, when he entered in early November 1906, when he was, uh, was uh, received with enthusiasm of the people, he immediately began forming troops with the help of officers who were in the area or, and who he often knew, whatever from the Kosciuszko uprising in 1794 or from his uh, service in the legions. And after the French uh, entered Warsaw a few weeks later, the situation changed as Prince Józef Poniatowski, nephew of the Landskrieg of Poland, was appointed as a new chief organizer of the army. Um, as this was um, a way of trying to convince the Polish aristocracy, which in the absence to clear declarations from Napoleon regarding the Polish cause kept, kept its um, distance from the French, um, that's why Poniatowski was appointed uh, Minister of War in newly formed uh, Polish government. Uh, eventually, as a result of the Church of Warsaw, uh, of Trizit, as, as I said, um, the Duchy of Warsaw was established. After the signing of peace, uh, the ordering of troops began, which was necessary uh, in view of the existence of units that hadn't been provided for in the new structure. Uh, which is uh, the which in the end included twelve infantry regiments, six cavalry regiments, and three artillery battalions. And this, moreover, had led to the phenomenon of um, excess officers, or in other words, there were more officers in the army than the army needed. Um, this continued until the war against Austria in 1809, when new regiments began uh, to be formed. Um, what it, what it, when it ended, the army had 18 infantry regiments, 16 cavalry regiments, a regiment of foot artillery, and a regiment of horse artillery. In addition, of course, to the functioning of, of the general staff and corps of engineers, something for Sam, but, <laughs> but more in the British edition, uh, Sam approves, so you, you, you don't see it. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, as of November 1st, 1810, there were 2,030 officers in the Dutch army. After the start of the war against Russia, regiments began to be formed in Lithuania, uh, so part of the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth. Uh, so there was a relation right between Polish lands and, and Lithuania. However, however, they were not subordinate to, to Poniatowski, only after the defeat in Russia, they were in fact incorporated into the Polish army. Uh, in the German and French campaigns were already see a smaller number of officers, which was due to the reduction of the army related to losses during the Russian campaign and next campaigns. 
David, I'd really like to know a bit more about the officers who served in the army of the Duchy of Warsaw. Okay, so due to the lack of sources, it's difficult to analyze the officer corps in terms of social background. Uh, however, it's likely that most of them came from the nobility. In fact, this would be a continuation of the situation before the partitions of Poland, which occurred at the end of the century, so few, few years uh, before. Um, despite uh, the opening of the possibility of promotions to officer for people from other social classes, um, even before the partition, it's likely that the number of such officers was um, not large. Um, if any, they were bourgeois. Um, therefore, the main criteria of division for me became the military experience that officers had at the time of receiving their first officer rank. Um, taking this into account, it's possible to distinguish four main groups, which are we allow myself to briefly introduce uh, to you and to our listeners. Um, and I will start with the group that can be called the core of the officer corps at the very beginning of its existence, that is the former officers of the Polish legions in Italy, which Dombrowski commanded. Um, these legions were created in 1797 uh, in Italy, and it was um, created, created by a group of Polish immigrants in that period, which wanted to fight for the Polish independence, of course, and this uh, legions existed a few years, but um, the results were quite small and um, most of these uh, soldiers and officers just died because they were sent to San Domingo. And it's a thing. Um, anyway, and this group was uh, quite experienced officers who had considerable combat experience and competence, of course. Uh, also working in their favor was their knowledge of the French army and all the modern solutions that appeared in it during the revolution and the first years of Napoleonic France, like uh, modern military administration or tactics. Um, the problem was the small size of this group. Uh, some of these people were in Poland as they had resigned of the Chitio to Lunaville in 1801 and returned to their homeland. However, a large part, uh, as I said, just died. Uh, for example, during uh, aforementioned uh, Domingo expedition, right? Um, or were still in Italy, as there was uh, an infantry regiment and cavalry regiment, which were, so to speak, heirs to Dobrowski's legions. Um, Napoleon initially decided not to pull them to Poland, these two, this, uh, two regiments, instead ordering that only some officers be sent to Poland. It's likely that such a policy was due firstly to the fact that he wanted to keep these regiments under his control as they were um, developed into the Vistola Legion in the following months. Um, but he may also have feared an influx of more officers, as firstly they were devoted to Dombrowski, as can be de demonstrated, for example, by letters they sent to him from Italy in late. 1806. Uh, and secondly, a large number of them held um, Republican views and having in mind uh, the not so nice treatment of Polish troops uh, 
in the 1800s, he may not have wanted to decisive role in the Polish army to be played by um, officers who could potentially be skeptical of him and um, negatively influence the attitude of the Polish aristocracy, so Poniatowski's group, uh, towards him. And nevertheless, it can be said that exligence officers played a significant role in the Duchy of Warsaw army, uh, even in its final period, for example, in 1814, among senior officers, more than 30% of them were former legionaries. Um, the second group of officers were veterans of the Army of the Pre-Partition Poland. That is um, people who served in the military before uh, 1795, when the third and the last uh, partition took place. In their case, uh, two important points uh, must be uh, noted. Uh, first, they were often officers who had a long break in military service. Um, it is worth noting, uh, no, noting at this point that the organization of the army of the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth, as well as the um, art of war used, was different from that of the French army. I mean, this revolutionary and Napoleonic army, which created a uh, few problems, especially in the first months. Um, the second point is that, uh, contrary to appearances, this group shouldn't be seen as exclusively old veterans, uh, since some representatives of this group entered military service in the 1780s or even 1790s. Um, in fact, they usually had a history of participation in the war against Russia um, in 1792 and in the Kosciuszko Uprising in 1795. Um, nevertheless, uh, their length of service was sometimes not so long. In the case of senior officers, there was the issue of physical fitness and um, therefore ability to serve in the field. Um, I'm aware of uh, several letters in which Dombrowski is asked to be relieved of given duties due to poor health. Um, the third group consisted of people who hadn't served in the military before the Napoleonic Wars. Um, there were two main reasons why they have an important part of, of the officer corps. First, because as I said some time ago of the shortage, shortage in the number of the experienced uh, officers available. In this situation, local organizers assumed that it was worthwhile to appoint local youth from uh, good homes, uh, especially of, of the local nobility as junior officers. Uh, who could be taught the um, art of war, especially since they often showed greater enthusiasm than uh, veterans. Mm. Secondly, financial issues were an important element. And here, and here it's uh, worthwhile for our listeners and to, to you, Alina and Sam, uh, to know one thing. If you say Polish army, you think financial problems. Uh, the problem of uh, financing the army was present in Poland, in fact, since the medieval ages, and <laughs> the Napoleonic era was no exception. Um, therefore, it was decided to turn to the local aristocracy on the principle, you give us money to form an army and we will give you military rank. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. At first, um, it looked like uh, a given aristocrats uh, financed one uh, regiment for which uh, the aristocrat got the function of chief of regiment, in fact, something purely formal. Um, nevertheless, quite quickly, this function was abolished, and uh, these people either got the rank of colonel and thus began to be a former commander, or they left, uh, left the army entirely. Um, so there, there was a group of officers with high ranks with no experience. Um, some efforts was made to minimize this uh, risk, uh, for example, by assigning them as majors, that is, as deputies, uh, experienced officers from whom they could learn. Um, anyway, it turned out that several capable commanders emerged from this group who, get, who even received general, general ranks as uh, in the case of Prince Sokovsky or uh, Count uh, Stanislav Miliszynski. Um, and uh, this last group, which is, I think, the, the less known, are the officers which served in the partitionist armies, because um, in, in the many noble families, there was a tradition that uh, members of these families are serving in the military, right? And of course, it was a break in existing of the Polish state, so they, so they um, decided to serve in the partitionist armies, right? It was treated um, like it's just a source of income, it's just a work, and we are not Prussian or Russian patriots in, in most of the examples, but um, they just were there, right? We can even found some. Uh, more or, more or less Polish regiments in, in these armies. For example, in the Prussian army existed uh, one of the last regiments, um, which, uh, <laughs> which, by the way, mostly deserted uh, when they fought against the French. And in the Austrian army, there was uh, also a few uh, Lancers regiments and in, in Russia also. Um, going back to the the more um, general view, the above division shouldn't be treated uh, rigidly, as it happened that one officer belonged to, to several of these groups. For example, he started his career in, in pre-partition Poland, uh, he fought in the legions uh, later, and next point of his career was the Dutch Apostle Army. And sometimes these were quite interesting biographies. As an example, we can cite Berek Yuselevich, who was one of the few Jews serving in the Dutch Apostle Army. Uh, he was a merchant by profession, 
And during the Kosciuszko uprising in 1794, he came up with a project to form a radic of the cavalry regiment uh, composed of Jews. And after agreeing to it, he was appointed colonel. His uh, regiment, however, failed to take part uh, in the fights. Um, two years later, an analogous project was presented to the oceans. However, they rejected it. And uh, in view of this, Cesarevich left for Italy and served in Dombrovsky's legions, where he reached the rank of captain. Um, in 1802, he transferred to the French army and as a commander of uh, elite company of one of the uh, Dragoons regiments, he took part in the Battle of Austerlitz, um, for which he received the Legion of Honor. In, in 1707, he transferred to the Dutch Apostle Army, commanding uh, one of the squadrons uh, of the 5th uh, Regiment uh, of, uh, uh, of Mounted Riflemen. And he died during a skirmish against the Ochoans near, near Kotsk. Uh, in 1809. Another interesting figure was Józef Sowinski, uh, who began his career during the Kosciuszko uprising, then joined the Prussian army, and he took, um, took part in the war against France for the Battle of Eylau. He was awarded the Poulre Merit, so the, um, the highest Prussian military decoration. Uh, although he was taken uh, um, prisoner during this war, he didn't decide to join the Polish army, and that's an interesting thing for me. Uh, he did so only in 1811, uh, so a few years later. Um, he took part in the Russian campaign, during the Battle of Borodino, he lost his leg. Um, during the retreat, he was taken into Russian captivity, from where he was released after a almost year, thanks to the help of his former commander from the Prussian army, Prince, Prince Augustus of Prussia. And uh, returning once again to more general considerations, um, the question for now still open remains the proportions between uh, the above mentioned groups. I haven't yet worked uh, out the final results, so let me give you these proportions as far as the colonels are concerned. Um, while this will not be a final statistic, it, in my opinion, provides some starting point. Um, at the start of the Russian campaign, out of uh, 35 regiments, there were 10 colonels ex-legionaries, 14 pre-partition officers, seven, seven rookies, so who started during the Napoleonic Wars, and four from the um, partitionist armies. And now let, let's uh, lean into how this division affected the functioning of the army in practice. Uh, as I said, in the early days when they were not established bylaws yet, um, diverse experience could cause problems at the level of soldier training, because, you know, I have my methods, you've got your methods, uh, stuff like that. Uh, and uh, applied combat tactics. It was uh, different for officers with uh, legion experience and different um, for those who had uh, no such experience and had served in the Commonwealth Army or in the armies of the partitioners. Of course, when time, when over time, the standards tried to standard, standardize, at least when it came to infantry and artillery. 
Uh, another observation of mine is that uh, there was probably also a shortage of experienced officers in general, uh, especially when it came to junior officers, so those who had the most frequent contact with privates and uh, on whose shoulders rested the day-to-day -day exotic of regiments. Um, we are familiar, for example, with requests uh, sent to Poniatowski as a minister of war not to transfer a particular officer to another different another regiment, as he was one of the few or even the only competent officer to conduct training in whole company, battalion, or, or even regiment. Um, this deficiencies in training also sometimes made themselves known um, during field operations. Uh, for example, there is a known example of, of a squadron leader, so quite high, quite high rank, who during the Russian campaign of 1812 unnecessarily alerted the, the entire corps because he mistook the Russian troops for Allied troops uh, from Westphalia, if I remember it well, so, so German, German troops. Um, similarly, poor organization of marches was one of the reasons of the high losses suffered by Poles in the early stages of the Russian campaign. The same is true, for example, of military administration, um, because in the Dutch of Warsaw Army, French standards were introduced for conducting, conducting administration which included, for example, keeping records of correspondence uh, or accounts uh, which were subject to inspection. For a large part of the officers, if not the, the majority of or all officers, and this was a complete novelty with which not all of them were able to cope. You know, we just, I just for example, I just know a few letters whether uh, there is written, please give me give me another place of service. I don't want to be a person, for example, I don't want to be a bureaucrat. I want to have a command in, in the field uh, and, and stuff uh, and stuff like this. Um, and in the sources, we can find examples of harsh assessments divides against, for example, the so-called dress captains responsible for the state of uniforms and equipment. They were um, allegations of financial errors or bad record keeping. Um, in general, from the sources known to me, officers didn't show a penchant for this type of activity. And uh, in the field of skills and competence, it's also worth noting that um, they were also problems on the ground of foreign languages uh, skills. At the beginning of the 19th century, French was the most widely spoken language. Uh, and one could say that its status was more or less what English is, is today. Um, nevertheless, back to the main threat, knowledge of French among officers wasn't at all super common. Um, even if we assume that a large proportion of officers came from the nobility, who in theory should have had some education, um, this created um, problems, obviously, when there was a need to cooperate with other armies, especially French, because the um, Warsaw Army was, a, of course, an element of Napoleonic military system. Um, and, for, and for example, Major Cyprian uh, Zitowiecki from the um, 4th Infantry Regiment, fighting in Spain, reported in uh, 1809, I quote, 
it's a, a misfortune that only three officers in the in the entire regiment and that mediocrely known the French language for the smallest thing I need to speak and write uh, alone. So this guy have a lot of work to do, trust me. And sometimes even the knowledge of the language didn't allow to avoid mistakes, bigger or, or smaller, sometimes with bad consequences. For example, for example, we know of a case when a Polish officer sent uh, with a report to the French commander, misstated and the number of opponents. He said uh, 500 instead of uh, 5,000. In French, it's uh, 500 instead of 5,000. Uh, which contributed to a bad recognition of the situation by, by, by this um, French commander. And of course, efforts were made to raise the level of officers through both top-down and bottom-up activities. And as for activities at the state level, it is uh, worth mentioning of uh, existing of uh, military schools for the education of future officers with both volunteers wishing to join the army and non-commissioned officers enrolled uh, in the relevant courses. Um, particularly noteworthy is the artillery and engineer application school, um, several graduates of which after the Napoleonic Wars became generals. Among them were, for example, Josef Bem, leader of the Hungarian uprising in 1848, Ignacy Franziski, one of the commander-in-chiefs uh, of the Polish army during the Polish National War of 1839 and uh, Clemens uh, Kłaczkowski. Many of these officers were valuable acquisitions for the army. So the, so the level of education was quite high. Um, as I mentioned, activities um, were also carried out from the bottom up, which consisted, for example, of one of the experienced officers within the regiment conducting um, courses for his younger colleagues, which was particularly useful when people without military experience became officers. Here, however, it is worth mentioning that the attitude of such people to the possibility of acquiring knowledge sometimes was varied. Um, for example, Pinsukowski wrote in his letters to his wife that he spent a lot of time learning the art of war which given that he was a very ambitious person didn't, uh, didn't have to be far from reality. In contrast, sometimes something quite the opposite was recorded in the memoirs by Major Lazar Coquignon, a Frenchman serving temporarily with the post. He wrote that uh, commander of his regiment, Prince Radziwiłł, came to Vesnia, the city in Kredia Poland when he was stationed and he observed, uh, he observed his classes uh, and Kokonio uh, wrote, I quote, I persuaded him to Rajivu um, to study and offered him training to his room. However, he his attachment to his guitar and pipe overweighed the study of drill and uh, maneuver regulations, so he learned nothing. David, you've like blown my mind with so much information. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to cope with all this overload of information right now. I don't know how you're doing, Sam. Sam's waving. She can't even hit the unmute button. 
so overloaded i couldn't even operate my computer <laughs> do you know what I'm we're so, gonna I'm have sorry. to do i'm sorry do you know what we're gonna have to do because we've got so many more questions we're gonna have to come back with a part two so we usually record on 40 minutes ladies and gents so what we're gonna do we're gonna cut david off right here and we're gonna come back with a part two i don't know what you think sam i think that's an excellent idea perfect so david we're gonna say thank you so much to you for now because we are going to come back with a part two so beware wait for another couple of weeks and we'll post it up for you guys sam thank you so much for co-hosting with me david thank you for doing part one with us because we're now going to enter part two so follow like and do all the usual twitter things and we'll see you on the other side oh and merry christmas everyone because we're coming up to christmas Thank you so much and Merry Christmas to you all. Our incredible guests give us 45 minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org where you can find our guests' latest books, you can support them and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or search for us in the shop section. Thank you so much for your continued support. We really appreciate our listeners and supporters. So make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.